0: Clouds and dirt. My thesis is, if you care more about the end consumer than you care about your own self, you will win. So I talk a lot about 5149 for people that really follow my content. I really live it. I really genuinely live it. I never make short-term financial decisions. Um, I'm always trying to bring more value to the other party. I do that for a couple reasons. Number one, I think I'm talented enough to get quite a bit in my 49. I also think it's unbelievable leverage. I also think it's a nice legacy. I think it's nice to do. I think it's a nice legacy to have. And I do that with my interpersonal relationships and I definitely do that with my businesses. So my principles guide everything. You're right, execution's everything. And I think what's interesting about the clouds and dirt metaphor is it helps people paint a picture of what I'm most worried about, which is I believe 99% of people listening to this podcast spend an ungodly amount of time in the middle. I'll give you an example of something in the middle. Process. Process is held on such a pedestal in modern business society and I find that to be in the middle. I understand it's value, but I do feel that if you push hard on the clouds, your religion, and you push hard in the dirt, the actual doing, that the process gets commoditized and you go faster. And so yes, I have principles of bringing more value, the lifetime value, attention, arbitrage as I mentioned earlier and then you know, I'm never too fancy to do. I mean, I will be honest with you, I think even this 30 minutes is a good example of that. I didn't over ask, I have no clue how many people listen to your podcast. I'm never in a place where I think I'm too fancy to do the work and uh, I take a lot of pride that I'm a practitioner. I understand Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram these platforms better than most because I use them multiple times every day, 365 days a year. I think it's a huge competitive advantage and I think I think, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier uh, HBS and Harvard. You know, I think the thing that I've learned as not a good student and as an executor, now that I'm 41 on the verge of being 42 years old, is man, a lot of things break down between theory and execution. And I am absolutely obsessed with Execution, and I do think that theory at a lot of times sits in the middle. I think you have to push yourself to the clouds to a, a bigger calling, and I think there's no better calling than the end consumer if you're building a consumer product.
1: There's a lot of startups out there dreaming about becoming unicorns, and you have been an investor of unicorns but I also understand you have a very different perspective to business because I've heard a couple of interviews, particularly the recent one on Recode. So can you share a little bit about your philosophies, particularly in becoming sustainable, focusing on top line revenue and optimizing for, for profit?
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's a great question and we got to speak to it a little bit before as well. Just I'm just trying to make all of you who are listening jealous that you missed out on so much good stuff before we started the podcast, so I'll try to fill you in. Yeah, I, I think again, and I'm gonna give you a compliment, the fact that you used consumer centric and used practicality, I feel like a lot of people are confused by me. I think I do a very good job building a persona that makes it a little bit of an enigma. The fact that you've been able to synthesize me makes me think you're smart, which is interesting and I, and I guess this is what it comes down to. My friends, we are living through the greatest era of financial arbitrage machines. When I hear unicorn, you know, Yes, there's the companies that have been successful, but to me, I'm worried because I think most of the people that are deemed unicorns today are just rhinoceroses wearing outfits that look like a unicorn because a lot of the current unicorns are not sustainable with a macroeconomic slowdown. And so, you know, you brought up a great point which is it may not be the way we manipulate economies, it may be something like war or something else that creates a need for liquid that will force a correction. I think that's exactly an astute observation. And to me, the question is very simple. So for example, the business I run today, it's a $150 million a year revenue business, it makes some level of profit this year, the least that it ever has. However, if shit got difficult next year, even during the Great Depression, brands advertised. Right? Not everybody goes out of business. If shit hits the fan tomorrow, every brand in the world is gonna start scrutinizing how it spends its marketing dollars. I believe if every brand lost half of its marketing budget next year, everyone, that my company would grow 10X because they would have to scrutinize where they spend their money and spending it with us is far better than spending it with with, uh, WPP agencies that wanna sell highly profitable television and programmatic banners. So for me, about that. Um, I think a lot of the unicorns are not profitable and they need the next round of capital and if that goes away, their businesses break. And so I'm yelling because it's too late for you know Spotify or, or Ubers or all these big companies they're on their way they've they're, they're on their way. but there's a lot of young kids who are in the middle who are raising their A or their B who have no thought, none of actually building a business. What they're trying to do is build a big enough valuation so that on their third fundraising round, they can take money off the table. The fact that there are kids who are able to get to a C and D round and are able to take tens and hundreds of millions of dollars off the table without ever building a successful business is clearly attractive. Um, that's fine for a founder or two, but when the shit hits the fan, that's not gonna be good for the investors and more importantly, in my opinion, the employees. And um, and I, I have a problem with that.
1: Hmm. Suppose today you can give tell your twenty year old self something on business. What would be the advice you give him that you should not do?
0: That's a good question. I would say that your intuition is right. That as long as you don't die, this is a marathon, and it's a hell of a lot better to train for a marathon than a sprint. And uh, and that's it. Like I, you know, I can't. I'm so grateful for where I'm sitting today, heading into the prime of my business career with really deep fundamental skill sets that will help me navigate through no matter what happens going forward, both emotionally and in business. And so um, I was a very unique kid. I built a very big business in my 20s and was still paying myself $60,000 a year and didn't need stuff because I wanted to be all time great. And uh, I kept reinvesting in my businesses instead of buying watches and sneakers and cars. And um, I wouldn't really wanna say too much because I would, be scared if I said something that kid would do something differently than he did.
1: Since we are in Asia that most business are actually driven by family and one of the things I actually identified when I read Ask Gary Vee is that you also work in a family business too and I think that's probably one of the most interesting and very under talked in most of uh, your interviews so I want to ask you what is the experience like and how do you navigate the dynamics in working yeah, with family? Good.
0: So, I've been getting in tune with this a little bit more now that AJ has left VaynerMedia. This is probably the first time I've really operated in some pseudo capacity of not having family with me in my entire career, even though AJ's still on the you know cap table and things of that nature and I still talk to him about it. Um, though to his credit, he never asks and lets me do my thing. Um, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of. I think when people look back at my career and 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 dig under the hood, which, you know, even me saying that speaks to the audacity that I have and, and I want to be an all-time entrepreneur, I really do. But not because I say it, because I execute. I'm very proud that from 22 to 34, I built my dad's business for him. I, to give you the answer for everybody who's listening, because it's very hard, the reason I've been able to make family businesses work is because I love my dad and brother more than I like money. It's just really not complicated. Family businesses are difficult because it's, you're choosing between family and money. Let's make it very binary. You can, be, you can pull over on the side of the road right now. You can turn off your treadmill. You can stop walking your dog. I promise you, that's all that's happening. It's the love of your family member versus the money and what's overlaid and the hardest part is pride or the score, as I call it. My biggest problem hasn't been the money. It's been the competitive nature of trying to figure out who's better, me and my dad, me and my brother. The thing that has been most difficult is the narrative on who's driving the ship, who's the best player on the team, and getting the respect back and forth. And I would say it was easier with my brother than it was with my dad, as it would, that would make sense. But I think the reason I've been able to be successful is a little bit of 5149, As I talked about earlier, I do that with my, my two family members. But I would say this, it is easily the most difficult thing that I think most people have to go through because there's, first of all, it's hard enough to build a business. When you overlay the emotional baggage of family dynamics, insecurities, um, fairness, and I, you know, I also only worked with my brother who was 11 years younger. If my sister had joined the business and she was three and a half years younger than me, if she joined the wine business, that would have been another dynamic. Um, it is very difficult And I I would tell everybody the following line. You've got to try your best to take a step back and think about the funeral of the other individuals and take that into account. The the thing that always allowed me to navigate was I didn't want to be at my dad's funeral and have regret. And I felt that it was better to leave a lot of money on the table and bet on myself in the long term that I would be able to close the gap than to have no relationship with my father. I was reached out to by K Swiss about a year and a half ago, um, and they said, "Look, Adidas has won by aligning itself with Kanye, and they've won, you know, urban culture. Uh, you know, obviously Nike and and Under Armour are playing in sports culture. We think that entrepreneurship is a new pillar of fame, and we think you're the face for it. And would you consider doing a sneaker before he finished?" Barney, the president, of the case was, before he finished the statement, I said yes. Um, because it was a win, I always say yes fast when it's win-win. The way I saw it is I also agree that entrepreneurship is now on a cultural pedestal and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So I expect other entrepreneurs to have sneakers. And uh, for me, being the first is always interesting. So that was number one. And then number two, if it didn't work, it would be a fun you know, kind of side note for me and my buddies to make fun of my audacity that I thought I was cool enough to have a sneaker and it flopped and I have 5,000 pairs sitting in my garage. I just connected from Hong Kong to Singapore. Four hour flight, I slept, so I, even though it was nighttime and I was trying to get tired, what did I do? The guy next to me is watching a movie. Other people are doing all sorts of different things on our electronic devices. I spent four straight hours reading comments from people on my content. So I think the reason that I'm a good culture, consumer-centric strategist is because I probably spend more time reading comments than anybody I've ever heard of. So when I used to talk about, and thank you, Economy Engage, you know, when I talk about reply to everybody Mm -hmm. and things of that nature, what I didn't realize in 2011 that I now do in 2017 was I was already reading everyone, so the addition of replying seemed like a very lightweight Ask.